0: You are Locked on Packers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. The Draft Network's Jordan Reed is on the program. He hosts Locked On College Football with Jonah Tulls, who was on this show last week. And I told you we'd get Jordan on. We got Jordan on. No, this is not that Jordan Reed. Not the NFL tight end Jordan Reed. A different Jordan Reed, although he got a lot of tweets the other day. And and we're actually going to talk about that on the show a little bit later. Because I want to get you set for the combine. Players to be watching. They move the drills to prime time. So those of you with day jobs can actually watch it. I'm going to watch it no matter what. But I know a lot of you have to do this thing called work in the day. And I I have to work all the time. <laughs> I don't have a work day. I'm always on the clock and always off the clock uh, because I get to do this, which is great. So we're going to get to that a little bit later but before we do i want to i want to set the stage a little bit because interviews started yesterday and i don't just mean with the media the players have started to meet with teams and that has implications for us as observers of what's going on because there is a long standing understanding from fans that the packers are not going to draft players they interview at the combine now that is partially a relic of the Ted Thompson era, uh, a continuation of you know, policies like not using the pre-draft process as a way to vet potential picks, but rather using you know something like the, the private workouts that they're allotted to vet and woo potential priority free agents, not even guys who are going to get drafted, guys who are going to likely go undrafted but may have multiple teams interested in them. The Packers did not do that last year. And remember, we only have a small sample size when it comes to Brian Gutekunst. He's only been through the draft process twice. So we're trying to identify ways, uh, edges that we can gain maybe. Ways that we can predict the Packers' behavior. And I I don't so much want to predict behavior, but identify possible strategy. Get inside the thought process of the Packers. And I went back and looked at it. And I wrote about this for Packer Report today. The writing was on the wall last year. When the Packers went to the Combine, they interviewed Brian Burns, Ja'Kai Polite, Cleland Farrell, and Montez Sweat at the Combine. Th- those are players they reportedly interviewed with. They took Rashawn Gary at 12. Brian Burns went 16th. Cleveland Farrell went 4th. I set went 26th, and Ja'Kai Polite fell to the third, in part because he had a disaster of a combine and didn't do any better at his pro day. But those guys were projected top 15, top 20 edge pass rushers, and the Packers spent significant resources in vetting those players. Now, the Packers traded up to get Darnell Savage at 21. They interviewed at the combine Taylor Rapp and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Now, this one doesn't quite fit. My theory on this, though, is that the Packers saw an opportunity to get Darnell Savage. He's falling down in the draft. He's their number one safety. And they thought, okay, it's only going to take these, these mid-round picks, one of which we acquired in the Ha Ha Clinton Dix trade. So we have this extra capital to use. Let's go get this guy. And this is going to become clearer in a second, actually. So the Packers at 44 They take Elton Jenkins, the offensive lineman. At the Combine, they interviewed Juwan Taylor, who went 35th, and Dalton Reisner, who went 41st. Now, that is two players. That's not a big enough sample. Okay? Then look at their private workout list. They also had in Caleb McGarry, who was the 31st pick. Greg Little, who was the 37th pick. Titus Howard, who was the 23rd pick, Andre Dillard was the 22nd pick, Chuma Idoga was the 92nd pick, and Max Sharping was the 55th pick. The Packers were vetting top offensive linemen. They wanted to take an offensive lineman early, just like they wanted to take a pass rusher early, and they spent so much time and effort interviewing those players. Okay, we can continue this. The Packers take Jay Sternberger at 75. At the Combine, they interviewed TJ Hawkinson, who went 8th, Noah Fant, who went 20th, Irv Smith Jr., who went 50th, and Jay Sternberger, who they took with the 75th pick. Of the players at tight end who went between the first pick and the 75th pick, the Packers interviewed four of the six, And Drew Sample and Josh Oliver, who they didn't interview, or at least didn't reportedly interview. We don't know that they didn't. It just wasn't reported whether or not they did, widely so. The Packers were doing their due diligence on top tight ends. So keep an eye on the players that they're looking at, because it could hint, at least at a strategy, maybe not at the players they're going to take, but a strategy or a roadmap. For how the Packers view this draft. And in a lot of ways, this is really intuitive, right? You're going to spend time. If you're if you're hiring, let's say, and after you hire someone, you know, you're a big, you're a big Wall Street firm, and you are looking at resumes, and it turns out that you were mostly looking at Ivy League candidates. So next time you're hiring, you're probably gonna spend your time talking to Ivy League candidates. Yeah, of course, because That's the kind of person that that we need at this position. We need someone who's really smart, who's really motivated, who is really accomplished, who are high achievers. If you need a certain type of player and you want to spend resources on that kind of player, it makes sense to then spend time looking and talking to and poking and prodding and getting inside the minds of these kinds of players. There just isn't time. And there just isn't really, I think, the desire for teams to try and subterfuge here, to engage in misdirection. I just don't think teams have the appetite to do that. They, they have too much that they need to get accomplished, too many players that they need to talk to. They have a finite number of visits that they can have, official interviews, and they have a finite number of workouts. So the goal is to vet as many players at positions of need as they can. So how do we push this forward for the Packers? Well, on the first day, remember this is this is a specific day with a specific group of players, so we only have that pool of players from which to draw. Quarterbacks and receivers headline that first day in terms of a position that the Packers may be interested in early. We heard that they had interviews in some form or fashion with LaVisca Chenault, Justin Jefferson, and Jalen Rager, who said he felt like the Packers were very interested in him. They watched film together. This was a real interview. They also reportedly talked to Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin and Courtney Davis from Texas A&M. So if we're going to extrapolate here, Right now, and remember, this is all the data we have, so we're only talking about how they view this receiver class. They're looking at players in the first round because that's where Chenault and Rager and Jefferson are going to go, and they're looking in the mid-rounds. This jives with how we think they're going to view this draft, get a guy early and get a guy middle, fourth round, fifth round. Cephas, Davis, Tyler Johnson – there is a number of players who who could be in that mix who could help the Packers. Now, we won't know for sure until we get some more information, we go through more days of this. It was clear when you went back and looked at the list, and, and believe me, I kept a list, that the Packers really wanted an offensive lineman. They interviewed and talked to a bunch of them. And it was clear they were looking at the top prospects at edge rusher, and the top prospects at tight end. The rest of the reported interviews and visits were outside that range. They were looking at some second-ish round receivers, A.J. Brown, J.J. Arthago whiteside Andy Isabella. That is where they often view the value at receiver. And it's possible they were interested in taking one there, had there been one worth taking. Someone falls into the 60s where you're, you know, where you're just lucking into them. Maybe that was going to happen last year. So I don't want to take too much away from this and prognosticate because it was not the players that the, the Packers ultimately drafted, except in the case of Sternberger, but it did hint at a position. I think we will come out of this with an idea of how the Packers want to shape their draft or at least how they would be comfortable shaping their draft because in the case of the 19 draft, they were looking at first-round players at all of these positions, at pass rusher, at tight end, and at offensive line. Well, they only had two first-round picks, and they only used one of them on one of those three positions. The draft played out in a way that they didn't anticipate, and you have to be able to be reactive to that. I'm merely pointing out a, an observation from last year, and it's something to monitor Because if this is something that happens again, I think it is a useful tool for us moving forward. I don't know that it will always be useful because the draft can play out in weird ways. Um, But I think it, it will help us at least to envision how this team is thinking about this draft class, how they are viewing their ideal plan. And plans can blow up. It happens every year. I think the 19 draft played out the way the Packers hoped it would. And as a result, they were able to draft a couple of players that they loved, players who can be and were, at least for rookies, good last year. All right, let's get to our conversation with Jordan Reed. You can follow him on Twitter at jreednfl. You can get all of his work over at the Draft Network. You can also find him on the Locked On Podcast Network. He is the co-host of Locked On College Football. Jordan, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: No problem. Thanks
0: for having me on, Peter. So day one of the combine in the book, although no on-field drills yet. In a lot of ways, uh, the, the more important stuff has started, the the interviews and that whole process. What were your big takeaways from what you saw? Because you're there, you're absorbing the sights, the sounds. What is your big takeaway from this this opening day, so to speak?
1: Yeah, and there were there were a bunch of heavy hitters in today's press conferences. You know, you had Joe Burrow, him assessing the situation with Cincinnati, and he came out and emphatically silenced some of those rumors that everybody had that he didn't want to play in Cincinnati. So, it was really cool seeing him do that live in a the person. Then, of course, you had Tua and in his injury situation, and he was just addressing his durability and said he's expecting clearance on March 9th from doctors, and he's supposed to be full go after that for Alabama's Pro Day on April 3rd, I believe it is. So, just seeing both of those guys live in the person. And, of course, all the other quarterbacks, Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts, all those other guys, Jake Fromm and Eason. And then the wide receiver class, you had guys like Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, all those guys talk today. So just seeing those guys live in the person, seeing who has a presence, see who controlled the room, those are really good things to see.
0: I, I I got a note from someone who is there uh, that that Jalen Rager in particular just looks rocked up. He's at two oh six, yeah, uh, pl- bigger than he was at TCU. Probably could go. He says he's going to run in the four twos, and that he wants Henry Ruggs to beat him. Who are the names that you're looking at in this receiver class who could who could really take the top off? Who could really impress and could be on Green Bay's radar?
1: Yeah, and I think there's a bunch of guys in particular. And you name one guy already, Jalen Rager was a very confident individual and a guy or a beat writer was asking him today like what's your favorite route to run and he was just saying I don't have one I feel as if I can run any route in the route tree so that's just that's, that's just a little bit of a microcosm of what you're getting with him in a vacuum very confident individual and you like to see that at the podium especially entering an event like this but the one thing that I love that he showed today or that he said today was that him and Henry Ruggs are running back to back at the combine. There's been so much talk about Henry Ruggs mm-hmm. breaking the Combine 40 record. He was like, hey, the guy before him might do it before he even gets the opportunity to do it. So that was pretty cool to see him do that. Uh I think him and Henry Ruggs definitely are two guys uh, that can break the combine record as far as John Ross is four two two. We'll see what does happen with that. But some other guys that can take the top off the defense. Uh just talking about those two guys and then Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State is another guy that opinions are kind of all over the place with him right now. But I firmly expect him to definitely be a top forty, a top fifty selection. I think that's a fair range for him. And then KJ Hamler is another, uh, not quite as fast as those guys. He's more quicker in short areas uh, than some of those guys that I did list. So I think those guys are definitely worthy.
0: Are there players who not not to say you're worried about them, but let's say, you know, someone like Jordan Jefferson or. Uh, T. Higgins, one of these guys near the top of the receiver boards comes out and runs a slower 40-time. Who do you think is most at risk? Or, or put another way, who has the most to prove when it comes to not just 40-time because 40-time can be overrated, but we're talking about the gauntlet drill, you know, some of these short shuttle, three-cone, that kind of thing. Who needs, who, who is most at risk or has the most to prove when it comes to their athleticism? Or who has the most to gain, maybe?
1: I think Rager definitely is one just because he struggled with some drops during his time at TCU and it was more concentration drops and he talked about that a little bit today where he was just trying to go through the after the catch process prior to performing the actual catch process so Rager just talking about the gauntlet drill he definitely is one guy that I think has a lot to gain now from a speed standpoint and testing I think some of these bigger guys uh, I think they have to test well Colin Johnson from Texas is one guy that definitely needs to perform well as far as the 40 just to show how fast he can run Michael Pittman jr. There's another name that comes to mind than Tyler Johnson from Minnesota, even though he's not going to be running, uh, unfortunately, at at the combine. But I was really looking forward to seeing him run just so we could get an actual number on him. But some of these bigger wide receivers, you just want to see how fast they really are, just because you get a little bit worried with these jump up and go get it type of receivers just because you don't know how well they separate. But if those guys run in the four fives, I think they can help themselves a lot.
0: This is a little bit off the wall, but it is certainly related to this conversation. Let's say Ceedee Lamb goes out and runs four six one. What does that do for you in terms of your evaluation of him?
1: It doesn't really change much for me, honestly, just because I know Ceedee's already not a fast guy. I think he's probably going to run four five three or uh, four five four. I think that's going to be a fair range for him. But you turn on the tape, he played so much faster this year as opposed to last year, just because mm-hmm. he overtook that number one wide receiver role of Marquise Hollywood Brown left to enter the NFL draft and I thought he took it and ran with it in strides and he had a play against Texas where he was surrounded by like four guys and he took it the distance like 60 yards and <laughs> he, he he did that throughout the entire year so I don't really have any question marks about his speed
0: all right so let's let's change up positions a little bit um I, I know another another position group that that Packer fans are going to have their eye on is this linebacker position and one of the one of the names that I am really intrigued by uh, is Akeem Davis Gaither, another player who his evaluation is all over the place. You mentioned it with Brandon Ayuk. I mean, some, some people think he is a, a firm day two player, and some people think he's not even a top 100 pick. First of all, where are you on him as a player, and how much do you think a good combine uh, could contribute to him You know, getting into that day two conversation?
1: Yeah, so funny story about Akeem and just tell you how small of a world it is. When I was coming out of college, his dad actually recruited me and I signed with the school that his dad actually worked for. So I've been able to see Akeem grow up from a small kid. So it's really cool seeing him come to fruition and just get the love that he deserves. But some of the things that, you know, you get in Akeem Davis-Gather with these linebackers, A lot of NFL teams are going more to the smaller type of modern-day linebackers. You don't have those two-down thumper big guys in the middle anymore just because the NFL is such a passing league now. You have to have these guys that can play three downs that also can guard the running backs out of the backfield and some tight ends in the slot. And Akeem Davis-Gaither was able to do that against Carolina. I think that was one of his best games of the year by far. But he's very quick twitch, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he runs in the four fives. I think he definitely can touch that number. And then a guy that's about one, about 220 pounds. I think he's that modern-day mold of linebacker that you're looking for. But also, he can play inside. He can play outside. Now, he's not going to make a living inside just because he's not a super huge guy. But if you play him at that Sam position or that rover spot to where he can move around a little bit and you can use him as a blitzer off the edge of the line of scrimmage, I think that's where he could be best served as.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, the the size thing gets thrown around with Keem Davis, 6'2", 216. Patrick Queen, two twenty-seven. It's not like he's a lot bigger, and we'll see what these guys come in and, and measure in at. But you know, this is this is, you know, the, Mike Mayock said it. I don't know if you were in that press conference. They're looking for for players who have no label, guys who can come in and play that nickel, can play, you know, all over and and do a little bit of everything. I wrote about this for Acme Packing Company earlier in the week. What if, what if the Packers just go small and say they want to get a safety in the first round or second round? Who are some of those hybrid players who could be out there who could who could play maybe a little in the box, a little in the slot, a little bit deep, and and Packer fans should keep an eye on in terms of how they perform this week in Indy.
1: Well, just talking about safeties, so I think the top guy that you're looking for, the fits Bill and for that is Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota. Yep. He's a guy I think he plays all over the field, man. He plays single high safety on the roof. He plays free safety, he plays strong safety. He even plays some Mike linebacker as a blitzer. And he's tough as nails, man. That's what I love about him. Speed is going to be a question mark about him. I don't really know exactly how fast he is, but he plays super fast on the field. So I don't think he whatever he measures at in the forty he really doesn't it's gonna it's not gonna deter my opinion of him a whole bunch just because of how fast his play speed is. But if you're looking to play that small ball in a sense, like you're saying, I think he's a guy that definitely could fit the billing for that. And another guy is Kyle Duggar, the safety, small school safety from Lenore Ryan. He's another guy that played all over the field at the Senior Bowl. And I just love everything that he showed. And something that you worry about with these small school kids is that how are they going to adjust to the speed of the game? And I've been telling everybody, if he was to put on a Michigan, Alabama, or Ohio State helmet at the Senior Bowl, you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference from him mm-hmm. being a small school guy. So that's something that you always want to see with a small school kid like that. And I thought he's just been phenomenal. And I think he's going to test through the roof. Don't be surprised if he runs low four fours and he jumps 40-plus.
0: And that would put him firmly on the Packers' radar. Yeah. If there is one thing Brian Gutekind loves, it is an athlete. Uh, the One of the first big things that we're going to see, the, the one of the first big position groups to go is the quarterbacks. That has been something of a conversation of the Packers this offseason. Brian Gutekind has said on the record, that they are not opposed if they think someone can be that franchise guy, that they will take them. What is the threshold? Let's say you are the the GM of the Packers, and and someone like Joe Burrow, obviously not going to fall. Uh, He's not going to throw either. What is the threshold of player quality in this draft where you would say if this guy falls to thirty, they just they have to do it.
1: Oh. Uh. I think Jordan Love is a guy that really would entice him a little bit. And I say that because he's a guy that's not ready to start year one. But similar to Rodgers, if he does slip in the draft now, I'm not saying he's going to turn out to be as good as Rodgers or anything like that. But uh, if he's a guy that does slip to 30, he puts you in a similar mode or situation to Rodgers coming out just because he's not ready to start year one. I think he needs to be an understudy for maybe a year or two. But I think he could be a high upside guy. He has some things that he needs to work on as far as his base and his decision making. But being a guy like being behind a guy like Aaron Rodgers that's maybe gonna play three, four, five more years, I think that's a way he could really settle in. He could add some seasoning in a sense to his game. He could learn just how to be a pro. And I think he could have a high upside starter whenever Aaron Rodgers does decide to hang him up.
0: I love what he said in his interview. He was asked about the 17 interceptions, and he said, you know, the best way to not answer questions about throwing 17 interceptions is to not throw 17 interceptions.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was terrific. I actually was the guy that asked him that question. so you? Uh, Yeah, it was really cool. He he was by far my favorite press conference so far uh, in Indy, and I really loved everything that he said just because a lot of times with guys, they want to shy away from that moment. But he was saying that in these meetings, Every team meeting that he's been in, they've had a cut-up of all 17 interceptions that he threw last year. Just asking him, why did you make this decision? And if you Mm -hmm. had a chance to get the ball back, what would you do different here? So just seeing him take that stuff in stride, it was really welcoming to see that.
0: Well, and you want him to be able to have an answer, right? You you never want to hear, I don't know, or... You know, I made a mistake. Like, yeah, admit it, but have a reason. If you know right. why you made if you don't know why you made the mistake, you can't correct it. And that's the kind of thing NFL teams are looking for. Right. With these right. quarterbacks is accountability.
1: Absolutely. And that's something that's like you said, you want to see them take that head on and just acknowledging the mistakes that they made. But if they don't have an answer for the mistake, it's just not a good look on them. But if they're giving you a confident answer and they know exactly what they would have done different in that situation, it's really good for them.
0: So, you know, I don't I don't know where, where you are with your fandom at this point, but I know at one point in your life you had an allegiance to a certain purple and yellow team in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this question this way. As let's just say you were to be a Vikings fan. I'm not going to ask you if you are, but let's just say hypothetically that you were to be a Vikings fan. Who is the player in this draft that is realistic for the Packers to take that you're going Oh, man, I really hope they don't take this guy.
1: Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I would say it has to be a receiver. So I would say Lavisca Chenault. I think that's one mm. player I think may entice the Packers, and I think I think he would feel really well in Green Bay. Just because I don't think he's ever going to be a number one receiver. I just think I don't think he has the qualities in order to be that type one guy. But if he's playing second fiddle to a guy like Devontae Adams, I think that would be a perfect situation for him just because he has to be in a creative offense that that uses him in a variety of different ways. And just giving Matt Lafleur that type of chess piece to play with, that would be really scary.
0: Yeah, give him all of Geronimo Allison's snaps from last year, those jet sweeps, put him in the slot, maybe play him in the backfield the way that Mike McCarthy used to do with Randall Cobb a little bit. I like that answer. I am not as big on LaVisca as as I was as a college player in terms of his NFL projection. But I think Mm. the fit in Green Bay is great. Uh, Jordan, you do a ton of great work. Where can my listeners find more of the work that you do, including your work as part of the Locked On Podcast Network?
1: So you can find my podcast along with Jonah Tolles, the Locked On College Football Podcast. We debate college football and the NFL draft. You can also find me on Twitter at Reed NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D, NFL, and also DraftNetwork.com. We have some special things going on there. That's all draft-related right now. So once again, you can find me on Twitter at Reed NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D, NFL and thedraftnetwork.com.
0: One last question. How do you feel about so many people telling you you should retire? <laughs>
1: It's something that I get asked about three or four times every day. It's, it's a joke. I take a stride now, so it's pretty cool.
0: I even had someone quote tweet your tweet as a, which was a joke to me, wondering if you were worth signing.
1: And I wanted to just <laughs> wow. be
0: like, "Yeah, of course, Jordan is worth signing." But the, the Packers are probably they don't need a they don't need a content creator right now.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny.
0: But they might need a practice god quarterback. How's the arm? You you still got it, right? You can still you can still sling it a little bit.
1: I can, but like I tell everybody, I'm only the all time quarterback at the flag football game at the local YMCA. No, that's <laughs> that's all I'm done. I'm done.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Enjoy Indy this week. No problem. Thanks for having me, Peter. All right, I want to thank Jordan again for coming on the show. Uh, and maybe the Packers sign him. They could they could use a QB three. Uh, and maybe he can hit up his namesake, get him to come to, to Green Bay. Uh, Jordan is, is really, really sharp, really smart. And uh, I, I respect the hell out of his eyes when it comes to these things. So I think those are, are good names to keep an eye out for and uh, enjoy, the, enjoy the process here as we go through it. We'll have some reactions to things in real time. You know, stuff is going to happen Wednesday. We're going to be able to talk about it on Thursday. That is the beauty of a daily podcast. So we will get to react in real time. We will have constantly changing information. Who has been interviewed? Who's been talked to? Who are the Packers liking? There's going to be scuttlebutt coming out of the Combine. So, so much to discuss as we go through this process. Make sure you are following along. Easiest way to do that at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.